morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. Got all our lines wide open, just sitting here waiting for something to do. That's it. Now's a great time to get your call, get your questions answered. There you go. Just give us a call, and we'll be glad to answer anything you may have. Got a comment or a question? Automotive-related, we're there. There you go. <laughs> Even if it didn't. <laughs> hey, right. That's right. We were talking just a little bit before the program, and I know we've covered this before uh-huh. at different points, but the state inspection on vehicles right. still generates a lot of questions locally. And I realize that state to state to state this varies, so the people listening from other well, states and may, even even in, within the state in the par- in the different parishes that it varies. Is exactly correct. And East Baton Rouge, West Baton Rouge, Point Capi, Livingston, and Ascension. Ascension. There is a federal mandate where they have to have emissions testing. Correct. Because these are highly sensitive areas as far as emissions go. Right. And so in order to get a safety sticker, well, a safety sticker is really kind of a a state inspection. inspection Let's put it that way. should be called. You have to, can't have a check engine light on in your vehicle. Correct. Now, if you're in any of the other parishes, be it Tangipahoa or Orleans or any of these parishes, that does not apply. You still have a state inspection, Mm -hmm. but it does not include the The check engine light, the emissions portion of it. So that is part of the complications and stuff that come on. Another thing is... Just because the check engine light is not on does not necessarily mean you're going to pass the emission standard. Correct. They have a system what they call readiness test. The computer on the engines, basically it checks everything that will affect emissions. Mm -hmm. And if it is, it runs a series of tests and it has to pass these tests before you can get a sticker. And they have to be marked pass. And the reason they do that is because let's say you've got a check engine light on. And you disconnect the battery and clear out the memory. If you hook it back on and go down, you're not going to pass inspection because the readiness test will be incomplete. Correct. And as these tests complete, if it fails that test again, the light's coming back on. So it's kind of a a a fail-safe that the engineers put in to keep people from cheating on their emissions testing. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Let's catch the phone line. We've got Dan on the line. Good morning, Dan. I was calling about the transmission situations on the Ford focuses mm-hmm. where uh, you get a bunch of stuttering and jerking and lurching is there anything can be done about that Dan it just depends on how many miles are on the car and you would have to have a diagnosis on that particular car because there's more than one thing that can cause that but the thing I think you're talking about is where the valve body wears out on them which is pretty prevalent on that particular transmission model it's got aluminum valve body with steel valves and it's not like the old days where they're pressure regulated, where they're just on and off and that sort of thing. They're pulse width modulated, so they're constantly moving, and it wears out the valve body bore. Now, let's say you've got relatively low mileage, and you confirm that that is the problem. You can go in and replace the valve body assembly. The problem with that is the valve body costs about eight to $900. It's a pretty good bit of labor to change it. It has to be reprogrammed and all that. So if you've got really high mileage, it's probably not worth doing that because you're going to spend probably anywhere from a half to two-thirds the price of a rebuild to replace the valve body. And if the transmission has 150,000 miles, the rest of it's pretty tired. You hate to go in and spend, say, that, yeah, that kind of twelve to $1,800 changing a valve body, and then two months later the forward drum goes out 
and you're right back again. So under that circumstance, most people elect just replace the transmission, which comes with a valve body. Did that clarify it any? Oh, I'm sorry, we lost him there. Uh, I hope that clarified that for you, Dan. If not, give me a call back, and I'll go into it in more depth. But sort of a poor design, in my opinion. And what really makes that problem worse is that Ford's original recommendation on servicing that transmission was about 100,000 miles on changing the fluid. What happens is that if the fluid gets dirty and you've got little pieces of grit and stuff in the fluid, and I know there's a filter on the unit, but they go through that. Anything under 40 microns goes right through the filter. That is going to cause the wear a lot more prevalent. Sure. That's why if my vehicles, I change the transmission fluid about every 30,000 miles, just because I find that cheaper than Than having to rebuild rebuild a transmission. And I can extend the life. It doesn't mean you will never have a transmission problem. just means you'll have less of a problem. You have less chance chance of of having a problem by servicing it. I mean, at least every 50,000 miles, I would be servicing my transmission. And if I had a problematic unit like Like that one, some of the Ford units, I would be doing it every 30,000 miles just because you're spending a little bit of money to prevent something that costs a whole lot of money. Correct. Which to me makes sense. Sure. But you could say, well, Ford says you don't have to. Okay, well, that's fine. Right, but if you're going to throw it away when it breaks. Run 100,000 miles, put a transmission in it. Right. You can do that as well. But that is the only thing you could do to try to alleviate this problem because you can't redesign the unit. You can't change the way that it operates. You can't elect to buy a different car that doesn't have so many problems like that. But you keep clean fluid in, there's less of a chance you're going to have a problem. Less of a chance because if a solenoid fails, an electrical problem, you have a burned out, then you're going to have a transmission problem. Sure. If a gear physically breaks... You're going to have yeah. a transmission problem. If a clutch jams or a sprag comes apart, right. you're going to have it. You could change the fluid every day. It wouldn't make a difference. You're still going to have a problem. What changing the fluid and filter where possible can help to, with is that it can alleviate lubrication-related problems, which is the majority of problems we sure. see. Sure. Another problem we're seeing a lot of is on the six-speed truck transmissions where they get a shutter in them when it goes in the lockup. You get that vibration shutter. And changing the fluid and filter on that definitely helps with that problem. And that system doesn't work the same way you would think it it has worked in the past with the four speeds. Mm -hmm. The lockup came in after the the last shift it locked in. Now the six-speed actually uses the torque converter to lock in between gears. Mm -hmm. So you get some kind of shutter between gears also that would be alleviated by changing the fluid and the filter. Right. On a regular basis. Anytime we get one of those in with a shutter of any kind in it, that's the first thing we recommend for a couple of reasons. Number one, it fixes a lot of them. It does. It doesn't fix everyone, but it fixes a lot of them. Number two, it allows us to drop the pan. And at that point, I can cut the filter open. And if I see a, an inordinate amount of metal and clutch material in that filter. Then you know. Then we know we're right. close. And at that point, you can start making plans. I'd like to start saving money for another transmission, or I can go trade this thing off, whatever right. your decision strategy is, yeah. you know, for dealing with problems like that. But you know you have a lot more information. And in many, many cases, it does alleviate the problem. It does. And I think Ford has two different fluids. They use LV in some of those. They use Merc 5 in some of them. And I'm not sure they don't even use SP in a few of them. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up in service data. Depending on the application. But even though it's the same transmission, they do use different fluids in different applications. Right. Just because I think they realize they've had some trouble there. But the key is 
my definition of maintenance is something you can spend a little bit on that prevents something that costs a whole lot down Later the road. road. That's maintenance. Right. So, you know, that would be my recommendation on if I had any of those types of vehicles, then that's what I would be doing on mine. Well, and it wouldn't be a bad idea to do it on any of the applications. I really, you know, I don't like going out a hundred thousand miles on a trans. I don't either. Cause I think that is an absolute blue sky throw away when it type yeah. thing. It's just like the all change animals where they say you can go seven, eight, 10,000 miles on all changes. Yeah. Some people can under their certain driving conditions and even they are going to get more wear and tear than they would sure. get otherwise. I just, if you, if your strategy is to buy a car and do as little to it as possible and then throw it away at a hundred thousand miles, that then, works out. Okay. Yeah. If you're like me, I like to keep a car 15, 20 years. Oh, yeah. And exactly. I like to get 250,000 miles out of it. Then I've got to do something a little different. I just find that it costs a lot less to buy a car, keep it a long period of time, take care of it, than then I do. Go out and buy a new car every 100,000 miles. Right. Because for me, 100,000 miles is probably about five years, sure. maybe a little less. And I was coming in to work this morning, I saw a BMW advertising on a billboard eighty five thousand dollars mm-hmm. and they're bragging about that <laughs> yeah yeah like you're getting a deal <laughs> what a deal huh <laughs> i can't come up with 85k or five years i know for, right for right to, to ride around in a car because it just ain't that important to me and i totally get it some people like oh yeah like cars they like prestigious cars i've got a good friend in new orleans he just bought a jaguar yeah. and he likes that and that's great i'm god bless him and he said, you know, coming out next year with a V8 model, that'll have 200 more horsepower. I'm thinking about trading this one in. Well, his is only about a year old. Right. But he said, well, this one will be even be- well, great. Hey, man, <laughs> you got the money. God bless yeah, you. Yeah, have I'm fun. glad. Yeah. To me, it doesn't mean anything at all. It's, it's, like, it's like talking gibberish. But to him, that means a whole lot. So, sure. yeah, I'm not trying to put down on the way people think. That's great. If that's what makes you happy, life's too short. By all means, do, do it. what you want. Yeah. But if you are more like me where you're looking at ways to cut costs and take your money and spend it on vacations with your family or maybe purchasing real estate or something that's going to go up in value or whatever your strategy of life is, then that's probably not a real wise (laughs) (laughs) decision. So, hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We come back, we'll finish talking a little bit more about our inspection and so on. And we'll be back in just a bit. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks. So, Madame Babushka, you can tell if my brand new bow and me are a good match? Yes, as I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, today we were talking a little bit about state inspections and such as that. Right. We'll talk about any topic you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. 
you were mentioned about the check engine light does not necessarily have to be on. And there's a couple of conditions that can cause you to fail state inspection emissions portion. We hadn't talked about the other side of it yet. Right. But another thing is if they plug their tool in, that connector is powered through through the, through the fuse the, box. The car somewhere. Right. And if they plug in and the power link is blown, the fuse is blown. Right. They're not going to diagnose the problem for you. They're not going to repair the problem for you. They're just going to tell you failing inspection because I can't communicate with the car. Sure. Take it somewhere and get it fixed. And normally that circuit is controlled through the cigarette lighter fuse. Depending on the vehicle. Right. Not I've, always. I've seen it on different circuits. Mm-hmm. I know on the Chevy truck, it's the cigarette lighter fuse right. under the hood. I know exactly which one to go to. Mm-hmm. But different vehicles, even different vehicles of Certain years, make. Yeah. yeah, will be on a different circuit. You just have to get out service data and figure out what circuit feeds the OBD2 connector. Right, and just because that connector won't communicate does not necessarily mean that it, the fuse is blown. That is one possibility. I've seen where the pins will get pushed out of the connector. Or bent. Or bent. Somebody will plug one of those little devices in there. And it doesn't fit exactly right. It'll bend one of the pins. So sure. when they come along to try to connect to it, they can't connect to it. A failure in the ECM can cause that. In fact, in rare cases, we have seen where the state's computer will not communicate, communicate, and our factory tooling will communicate. Sure. And under those conditions in Louisiana, they have what they call a protest center. And that's where you can go to the protest center. I can give you documentation, say, yes, this will communicate, and there are no codes active. You go to the protest center, and they'll look into it, and then they can give you a sticker, even though, and then they'll try to update the state's unit. Right. Because... When you've got anything universal, it's not necessarily going to work on every single one. You know, it, it's kind of like a fishing ski boat. Right. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not it, good it's, for either one. It's not good for either one, really. <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Tommy on the line. Good morning, Tommy. Morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Doing good. Good. I got an 09 Chevrolet HHR. Mm-hmm. Uh, alternator went out last week. Uh, battery light come on. I had checked, and it said the alternator went out. Put a new alternator, new battery on it. Alternator light still on, mm-hmm. and they checked it. Said the alternator is putting out like thirteen point nine amps. But I left it running the other day with the lights on. It run for about thirty minutes, and mm-hmm. the battery went dead again. Yeah, uh, yeah, thirteen point yeah. nine is not nearly close. No, I mean that's, that's, that's probably be volts, not amps. Yeah, that may be volts, but yeah, amps need yeah. to be up around one hundred and ten, hundred ten to one hundred forty. It was volts. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, there's lots and lots and lots of things that can cause that, Tommy. Just because the alternator is not charging does not mean the alternator is bad. I believe that system is controlled by the ECM. Right. The ECM is the regulator for the system, and it has what they call a B terminal going to it and all that. If for any reason any of the inputs to it are wrong, or if the ECM is bad or any of that, then the regulated oh, excuse me the uh, alternator, alternator is not going to charge right so if they check the alternator on the car and it says not charging that's not nearly enough you need to find somebody who knows what they're doing to check that and that's a relatively complicated system to check because you have to be able to check the input from the ecm to the alternator and it's just saying the alternator is not charging doesn't mean the alternator is bad it may not be getting a signal to charge correct it may, it, may be I'll commanding it down uh, it's showing not charging, then I put a new one on. Right. And I check it, and it shows charging, but it will not be charging because I left it running, put a new battery in it, and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. I left it running. About well, 30, it could be that. You could, also, you could also have a defective new alternator. That happens all the time, and it could be discharging back through the diodes. In other words, it may be charging, but when you turn it off, it discharges back the other way because the diodes oh. are bad in it. 
I mean, if you put an aftermarket alternator, that is extremely common. Right. We see we won't even use them. I mean, I will not install one just because there's so high a failure rate on them. But in charge and in discharge when you turn it off, you know, you'd have to do a parasitic draw test. It just takes a different test to tell that. Okay. It, All right. That's what I need to know. Okay. I, just, I need to take and have it checked somewhere else. I right? would get yeah. somebody who knows what they're doing. The reason I say that, Tommy, is because it's just going to be cheaper. It's going to be cheaper to do that than it is to just sit here and, well, look, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Well, maybe it's all kind of stuff. I mean, you can run out of money before I run out of maybes. You know, <laughs> but okay. to test it and tell you, I would first test for a parasitic draw. In other words, you see if we got voltage running back through the alternator, because if the diodes fail, a diode's like an electrical one-way valve. It allows voltage out, but doesn't allow it to flow the other way. Because if that diode is bad, when you turn the key off, instead of putting voltage out, it just charts back, goes back, and you sit there and energize the field call, so it's going to run your battery dead overnight real fast. And it could just be a bad alternator. But, again, it could also be other things. So, right. you know, you may have had a parasitic draw on the system to start with. That may have been the original problem, and that may have killed the first alternator. And, yeah. you know, you changed the alternator, you, you fixed the symptom, but you didn't fix the original problem. Right. All righty. All right, I'll get checked. I appreciate the Okay, help. man, thank you. Day. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we're going back to the lines with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Yes, yeah, so I got a uh, Toyota Avalon, mm-hmm. bottom of the line. It's uh, seven. Uh, it's 11 years old. And I had the transmission fluid changed one time when it was at 75,000 miles. Okay. And it's got almost 170 on it now. Wow, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, I don't have any problems with it. it well, you're not going to. The first problem you can have is when the transmission goes out. Well, yeah, it's like I don't brush my teeth and I ain't got no problems until all my teeth fell out. <laughs> well, well, the question I got is this. Somebody told me. I can ask, I can ask that for you. Ask that question. Yeah. I, I get that question all the time. And it's the same Probably analogy as before. Say, well, if it hadn't been serviced in a long time, don't service it. That's like I said, I hadn't brushed my teeth in two months, so I ain't going to ever brush them again. So, a, so proper, ought- a proper Bro- service can never, ever, ever hurt your transmission. Not now, ever. Now, the key if, word is a proper service. Right. The reason a lot of shops are reluctant to service that is because it's gone 100,000 miles with no service. Odds are there may be some problems already. If they service it and it goes out a month later, you're going to blame them. Ah, see. That's why they don't right. want to do it. You know, No matter what happens, kind of like a guy who is 95 years old, he never ate a banana in his life. He eats a banana, he dies two days later. It's always going to be the banana that killed him. No, nah, I'm never going to get another banana. Not the 95 years, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want no more bananas. That's right. Uh. But no, a, pro- a proper service cannot hurt the transmission and may buy you some time. Now, we, we, if you drop the ahead. pan and it's full of metal, well, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's fixing to go out anyway. And the service is not going to help that. You soon put the pan back on it and make your plans. But yeah, no, okay. in many cases, it can't, even though it's past due, it you know, still it's still benefit. better to do that than to not do it. Right. Because okay. it will alleviate the problems that it can alleviate. It can't undo what's done, but it can alleviate the problems that it would help. Well, give me a general idea of what it costs to, to do the change of fluid. Between 150 and $200, depending on what kind of fluid and what kind of filter you got, I what got units you. in it. That's what I needed to know. All righty. Thank you, man. All right, man. Thanks, Paul. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. That's an easy one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we know, get that question a lot. We get that all the time, and what it is, you got a lot of shops, and I, I get, I totally get it. You go in, you got a transmission with one hundred seventy thousand miles. You had it serviced once, you never had it serviced. Right. You want them to service it. They say they're thinking, okay, if I service this and it goes out, I'm gonna get blamed. Sure. And 
the way people are, you know, hey, it was fine when it came in. Now it's bad. Well, okay, but you know, everything fails at some point. Just because you serviced it and it went out does not mean the service caused it. Correct. Most people don't go get a service until they got a problem. It's shifting a little weird or it's doing something weird. Yeah, so then they go get a service and then it fails and then they want to blame the shop. The thing sure. is, a proper service can buy you some time. It cannot hurt it. However, you can't blame the shop if it does go out. Sure. I mean, unless they did something wrong, which is pretty unlikely on a service and a, and a competent shop. But yeah it's one of those things you never want to just let it go because it hadn't been done in a long period of time. And the tact that we take is when people come in, in that situation, we explain to you, okay, you got this year, you got this many miles on it. Right. The fluid is really dark. We found a bunch of metal in it. It's probably going to go out. Do you want me to go ahead and service it? Or do you want me to just put it back together? And I mean, the other option is no, I'm not going to touch it because mm-hmm. I don't want to be involved. Well, okay. That's, and that's good. That's, you really hadn't hurt, helped the customer any there either. That's a strategy. A lot of other shops, a take. lot of shops do that. It's kind of like if you go into some shops and ask for an oil change and you got an oil leak, they're not going to do it. They'll just tell you, no, I can't do it. Because they don't want to get blamed for the oil leak. leak. You didn't notice the oil dripping on the ground. They told you about it. It's in your mind now. So you start looking. Now you see a spot of oil. They just change all. Well, they change. They cause this. Mm-hmm. You can't blame the shop for everything that happens to your car. Right. Just because one comes after the other does not mean they caused it. Correct. Everything happens at a time. I know we get that a lot of times. We'll do some type of service and then. A month later, something happens to the car. Well, it never did it before. Well, well exactly. <laughs> but nothing ever happened before it happened the first time. Sure. You know, we changed the blower motor, and now the window doesn't work. <laughs> so, yeah, you just you got to understand the way that it works. And, and most shops are not going to put themselves in that position. Right. Let's catch our call for the next break. We got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Lewis. I have a little 2016 Nissan Altima. Mm-hmm. And we're getting ready to take about an eight-month vacation. Okay. And I'm thinking I need to put something on the batteries, maybe like a solar charger, tender. Mm Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be a bad idea. And what about, is there any need to have it driven occasionally other than just keeping the battery? I would highly, highly, highly recommend driving the car, Mike, because letting a car sit for eight months is almost always going to cause problems. Cars are like human beings. They're designed to move around and run. It's kind of like if you retire and you go lay on the couch for eight months, you're probably not going to be able to do a lot of things you could do before when you do start moving. I mean, what would be a better tact is to get somebody at least once a week to drive it for about an hour or more. The more, the better. But you get things, number one, the fuel is going to gum up on it in that period of time. All your shocks and everything are going to sit in one position. They're going to stick in the bores. You're I mean, going to have a bunch of condensation building up inside the crankcase. In the exhaust yeah. system and everything else. And the only way to really get all that out of there is to drive it. Now, I've got a couple of articles on my website on storing a vehicle. You might just read through there. It'll give you some other tips. But, man, if there's any possible way you get somebody to drive it, that would be the best thing. What you doing once a week? <laughs> it ain't gonna be me. <laughs> I'm gonna be in New Orleans in my condo. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay, man. Right. Thank you. Bye bye. I right, take our second quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah. 
A general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie. <laughs> me my car into agco for a general inspection keep your car on the road longer schedule your general inspection today at agco automotive agco it's the place to go hey welcome back if you just join us it's the automotive hour i'm your host lewis aldazan with mr brian terry we sure appreciate you spending your saturday morning with us if you have an automotive question or a comment you give us a call we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction we're talking a little bit about state inspections today but we'll talk about any topic you may have you know, one thing that we get a lot of confusion, and I just want to finish up on the check engine light portion of the inspection, but uh-huh. one thing we get an awful lot, and that is where people have a check engine light, they'll call, make an appointment, and our appointments are normally a week or so out, and before they can get it in, the light goes off, so they'll call back and cancel the appointment. Uh-huh. And in almost every case, you try to warn them, well, because the light goes off does not mean the problem is fixed. In any application any application very very rarely it could be something like the gas cap was loose you tighten it it may take a few key cycles it will go off but that is very rare most of the time what has happened you got to remember this vehicle has to execute about two thousand different tests right and it can't do that on every drive cycle and depending on how you drive for instance if you get in the car and you only drive it for 10 minutes then it's going to abort the tests that require a full warm-up because it didn't get to full warm-up. So those tests will not run. If a test does not run for a couple of key cycles, so you get back in the car, you drive for an hour and a half, but now it's already warmed up before you start it, so the test may not run. Sure. You may fill the tank with gas. Well, this test requires that it's three-quarters or less. So it got to a quarter. It quit running the test. It goes all the way down to empty. You fill it up. Now it's full. So it's, until it gets to three-quarters, that's a half a tank of gas. It's not going to run that test again. Correct. The light may cycle off doesn't mean the problem is solved it just next time that test runs the light's coming back on well and if it left the light on during a problem situation and it had another problem mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be able to turn another light on it because there's right. only one light that it, the system uses to inform the driver that something's wrong yeah so it may have been two or three codes i know people sometimes will drive a car around for a year or more and they say, well, I know what it is. It's a check engine light. It's an oxygen system. I'm not worried about it. Right. Light's been on for eight months, 10 but months. But in that time, the transmission may have started slipping. So sure. now it's got a transmission code. It's got an oxygen sensor code. It may have a mass airflow sensor code. It may have all kinds of stuff. It's nothing to plug into a system and draw out six or eight codes. Right. Not only that, but the oxygen sensor you didn't replace, which was protecting the catalytic converter. Now the catalytic converter's gone right. because you've driven around with a bad oxygen sensor for a year. So you change the oxygen sensor, bam, light comes back on. Well, now it's catalytic converter code. Well, you change the catalytic converter, bam, light comes back on. Now it's transmission code. Mm-hmm. And I've even seen people, again, kind of like the other instance we're talking about, they'll, they'll blame the shop. Well, no, 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 it's not the shop's fault. It's your fault for driving around for a year with a check engine light yeah, on. There you go. You've created other problems. And particularly if the codes are cleared, then you don't have any way of knowing what was in there before. Right. Let's say you cleared the codes. The transmission code maybe takes driving two hours before it'll set. 
you drive it for a half hour to one hour. Well, it never regenerates at that point. You change the oxygen sensor, oxygen sensor lights off, everything's good. You take off, you go from here to Atlanta, wham, transmission light comes, light comes on. on. Because you've driven far enough for it well, to happen. The check engine light comes on with a transmission code. Right, exactly. So it's, it's one of those systems that the average person does not understand. Right. And as long as you understand how it works, it has a logic. It doesn't just routinely turn the light on it doesn't turn the light on for no reason it's not like a glitch in the system if that light comes on there is a problem and you just have to ascertain what the problem is Mm -hmm. and the thing is it generates a code which tells you the area that the computer sees as a problem that does not mean that's what's wrong right by any stretch of imagination right when the engineer wrote the software he says if these things happen turn the light on with this code right but that doesn't mean that that is Part of the, that is the, the the problem. The part is the problem. It could be the wiring in between. It could be a software update. There's all kind of different things it, it could be that, that will actually turn that light on and set well, that code. A classic example is like the Ford products that will set the check gas cap light. Well, the check gas cap light does not mean it doesn't have a way to physically check this gas cap and say, okay, the gas cap's bad. Computers can't do that. Right. That's a mechanical part. What it notices is that it requires draws a vacuum on the tank, and it doesn't hold. So it assumes if it's a large leak, maybe the gas cap's off, so it just says check gas cap. That's that's what it does. Mm-hmm. However, let's say we got a vacuum line off. Same, same thing. thing. Let's say we got a crack in the gas tank. Same, same thing. thing. Let's say the pressure sensor in the tank is it's bad, bad. Right. and it doesn't <laughs> see the vacuum change. Let's say the purge sonar is bad, and it doesn't draw a vacuum when it should. Or the vent sonar is bad, and it won't allow it to draw. Any one of these things we'll plus set 100 more are going to set the same code. Sure. It's just going to say check gas cap because that is one of the possibilities. But the thing is, if you go in and start changing components out, you can, like I was talking to the gentleman earlier, you're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses because there are literally dozens of things that can set each and every code. Well, and you may cause a bigger problem than you have originally. Very often you do create a problem, particularly if you go and put aftermarket parts on there, which are substandard. Right. Let's say we've got, to check gas cap light. Well, first thing we do is we go put a new gas cap. We go to a parts store and buy a gas cap. Well, that gas cap does leak. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's light still on. So, well, that wasn't it. So then we change the vacuum solenoid. Well, we buy an aftermarket vacuum solenoid and it leaks. Right. So now we've got three the original problem, problem right. which was the pressure sensor was bad. We've got a bad solenoid and, and we got a bad gas cap. Exactly. So you finally get it to somebody who knows what they're doing. They test it and they say, okay, you need you a gas it. cap, you need a vent solenoid, and you need a pressure sensor. Well, I just changed it. Well, I'm telling you, you need a gas cap, right. a pressure on, and a vent set. You know, because the original problem was this, you created these other two problems. Let's say we go even a step further, and maybe you pull the fuel pump out trying to check something, put it back in, and you generate a leak at the fuel pump. Well, now you got four problems. Right. You, you didn't fix the original problem, but you created four other problems, which is going to make the diagnosis much more difficult, the fix much more difficult. And just because the part is new does not make it good. Does not ever mean it's good. Yeah. Right. New we, does not equal good. It we just we, When we change alternators at the shop, we check them when we get done right. to make sure that they're working properly. Well, that's right. And we, that's why we have gotten away from the aftermarket stuff, because everyone we were putting on was failing. Well, I had a fellow who emailed earlier this week, and I, he had some kind of a Nissan. And as you know, some of the Nissans are extremely difficult to change the alternator. They are. About a three and a half, four hour job to change the alternator. Right. And it's down on the bottom underneath the, the motor. Right. He said he had to pull a, a radiator and everything else out to get this thing out. And he says he puts the replacement in and it's got a loud whining noise in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to sound 
unsympathetic and everything. I'm sorry for you, but this is the reason we do not use aftermarket parts because I can't afford to. I cannot afford to have a customer angry at me because I just charged him some money and he still have the same problem or worse problem. I can't afford to pay the technician two times to do a job that I'm getting paid once for. Sure. I just can't afford it. And we've talked about this many times in the past. There's price and there's cost. The price of this alternator may seem to be $200 higher, but when you figure, okay, but I got to spend four hours labor to get to it, going to it twice, I still don't have the car fixed. Well, that $200 doesn't sound like that much anymore. <laughs> you know, the, the exactly. overall cost is higher with a cheaper part. Sure. And that's kind of the way you get into with the check engine light thing. Now, check engine light is only one part of the system. If your area does not have emissions testing, you may not have to worry about that. Right. However, a check engine light is like a fire alarm in your house. It's an early warning system. It's right. telling you. It's not, it's not your enemy. It's your friend. It's right. trying to tell you something's wrong with your car. That's going to get worse. So in my opinion, I would never ignore a check engine light. I always am going to diagnose it and go in. And there are probably everything you say, there's going to be some exception. If you got a really old car and a really expensive problem and you're just trying to get the last few miles out of it and there's no emissions testing in your area, hey, right. I understand. I really do. You know, I'm not going to spend $1,800 for a catalytic converter on a 30-year-old car where they don't have emissions testing. I totally get that. But for the most part, you need to check that and figure out, out what, what it, is, it is, see if it's going to get worse, and so on. And at very least, if you are going to drive around with a check engine light on, you need to very routinely get the system checked to see if other codes are being generated. Because because the light is on and you're ignoring it doesn't mean other things aren't happening that may be critical. Correct. So and that's a different strategy for a different application, and I understand that. Now, on the other side of the emissions uh, testing excuse me, the state inspection, you have the safety side, as they call it. In my opinion, there are a lot of things they do not check. Right. I don't, I don't believe it goes far enough. It really doesn't go far enough to be called a safety inspection. It's more of a rudimentary inspection. I guess it's better than nothing. But yeah, I yeah. think they check things like the brake lights are working or all the lights on the all car the lights, working, the horn, the windshield wipers. The washer fluid for the windshield wipers. I think the driver's window has to go up and down. Right. You can't have a crack that obscures the vision of the drive. That is so, every year it changes. It's ambiguous, so it, yeah. it's, it's really hard to determine a windshield-type failure. Fault. Every year it changes. Every time I go in to get a, a sticker, you know, I've got a crack on the passenger side mm-hmm. of my, my vehicle. It doesn't bother me. It's not in my view or anything. Right. And it, reluctantly, every time I go in, the guy says, you know, I, I, I shouldn't pass this windshield because it's cracked. Yeah. Well, it doesn't say your windshield can't be cracked. It right. can't obscure the driver's vision. Exactly. And yeah. depends on the who the inspector sure. is and all that sort sure. of thing. The thing is, the things they don't inspect, they don't pull the wheels off, check the condition of the brakes. Right. They may drive the car, make sure the pedal's not going to the floor. And as some drive it 10 feet. 10 feet or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, they're not going to pull all the wheels, no. inspect the brakes, make sure they're safe. They're not going to look at the tires. They're not going to look at the dates on the tires. They may look at the tread depth on the tire. Maybe. Maybe. But they're not going to check the date on the tires and see if they're too old and they're right. fixing to blow out. So. I guess the point is, because you have had an inspection done, a safety inspection or vehicle inspection, state inspection, does not mean the car is necessarily completely safe. Correct. Because there are certain things they're going to look at, but there are lots of other things that could be potentially dangerous that they're not going to check. Most definitely. So it's probably better than nothing. It is good that they have it in a way, but in another way, it's just not enough to, right. to ensure that you got a safe vehicle. They kind of leave that up to the, the individual owner. Right. 
Another thing that's kind of always bugged me is they, in Louisiana, they'll put a safety inspection on a brand new vehicle. Right. When you buy a new car, it's got a safety inspection sticker or vehicle inspection sticker. And that car has already been inspected dozens of times in the manufacturing process. It's inspected again at the dealership when they do the prep and all. So right. that seems a little bit more like a money grab to me yeah, than, exactly. than a benefit to the public. But that's just the way it it's is. being what it is. So thing is, if you have a vehicle inspection done, don't think that the car is necessarily safe to drive. Correct. Because they're not going to be a comprehensive safety inspection. It's just an overall kind of a view. They are going to pick up on some things. And, mm-hmm. and it is good from that perspective. It does keep some unsafe cars off the highway. And this varies considerably from state to state. Sure. There are probably some states out there where that, they do pull the wheels and stuff on the right. car. And there's some states that I believe do not have a safety uh, sticker A vehicle program. inspection program at all. Right. Yeah. Some, somebody told me Florida, I, I think, think does not have. Yeah. And, again, I'm not being from Florida. I can't right. say that. But I know in Louisiana, you vary somewhat from parish to parish but the vehicle must be inspected in the parish where the registration indicates the Correct. vehicle is located for instance if my vehicle is registered in east or west baton rouge you can't drive down in orleans and have it done can't go to orleans and get a brake tag put on it and, and to circumvent the law right it has to be inspected in the parish where the registration now if i my vehicle is registered in orleans and I drive it in East Baton Rouge, I can still have Arlene's sticker on it. Correct. Because that's where it's registered. Correct. So, well, you, you've got to have proof of insurance, right. a, driver's, a current driver's license, and registrate. you got to have the registration for the vehicle when you go get the sticker. That is correct. And because in Louisiana we do have mandatory liability insurance, that is where they check that. Mm-hmm. You do have to have proof that you have current insurance on the vehicle or they're not going to give you a vehicle inspection. Correct. That's one of the ways they enforce that law. Another is they do occasionally do the vehicle roadblocks where right. they'll just block a road, and as vehicles come down, they either check everyone or they'll randomly check to look and see if you got a safety inspection. They may see ask to see your driver's license. They may ask to see your proof of insurance. Sure. And because these are state laws, they're not infringing on your rights by doing this you got to remember, driving is not a right. That's not it's, a constitutional right. That a is privilege. a privilege. And with a privilege comes certain responsibilities, among those being that it has to be a safe vehicle that protects other people on the road. Right. You have to have vehicle liability insurance on it, and you have to have a current driver's license. Correct. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that and some other things as soon as we get back from our final break. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of AgCo Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Glad to talk about anything might be on your mind. There you go. And, you know, we were talking about state inspe- uh, Louisiana state inspections right. earlier. And there is one break that they will give you. Mm-hmm. If you fail the inspection, they mm-hmm. will give you a rejection sticker that is good for 30 days. Mm-hmm. You have 30 days to get the vehicle into compliance without having to pay for another sticker. That's right. So it, they kind of try to work with also you. Also, under state law, and I can't quote the exact amounts and stuff, but there is an amount that you do not have to spend over in a to year. Exceed. Because they, when they passed this law, they said, well, this is going to be a, a undue hardship on some low-income people. They may not be able to afford to get their car fixed. They still got to get to work. Right. So under state law, there is a cap on the total that you have to spend in a year to get the car in compliance. If you have receipts showing you have spent this amount and the car still not in compliance, mm-hmm. you can go to the protest center, show them what you got, and they, I think they'll give you a sticker a for another year, a waiver for another year. And, right. and, again, I'm not an attorney. I can't advise you on that, but you can call state police or whoever does, uh, does the handles state that stuff, and they can advise you on that. Because if you've got an older car, and let's say it needs a very expensive repair, many times you can get a waiver where you can still get a sticker. And it's not like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right. It's just like a little waiver to get to you get more you. time. And then I think next year you're going to have to do the, the same, same thing, thing again. And I don't know if eventually there's, there's a point where you have to fix it or not. But they did put some things into the law. You know, laws are to benefit people, not to penalize people. Correct. And I think the Louisiana legislature has done a pretty good job of that overall. In fact, in some cases... I feel like they go a little bit too far, you know, yeah. and let people slide on stuff. <laughs> right. But again, the purpose of any law is to help and to protect the public and help people. If there's a law that puts people in a bind, then you have to examine, is this a really a good law? Correct. <laughs> I remember reading about in history, there was a law at one time in Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg, and everyone had to attend church on Sunday. You could be basically arrested if you did not mm-hmm. attend church. But if your wife were sick and you had to stay home and take care of her, you could tell the magistrate, well, the reason I wasn't there is because I was, well, okay, then right. fine. So there's always got to be some reason built into the law. That is a reasonable explanation why you missed church because mm-hmm. you couldn't let your wife die. You right. know? That's not the purpose. The purpose, I guess, was to try to get people to attend church. But And certainly that seems like an archaic law by today's <laughs> standards, but that was kind of one of those things that was important to sure. them at that time. But, yeah, that's the way laws work is that there's generally some type of relief or something else that you can do. And that doesn't mean that you should use that to circumvent the law. Correct. That's not the intent. But, again, if you got an old car that is just not worth repairing but you got to get another six months out of it, that might be something you want to look into. Sure. So, anyway, I think that's just, just about, about everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything on stage. But, you know, some of the parishes in Louisiana also allow you to get a two-year inspection. Right. I know the, the five-parish area around East Baton Rouge Parish is a one-year sticker. Mm-hmm. It's good for one year. Right. And, one year to the date. Right. And in the parishes that allow two years, I think it's one price for a single year. And I'm not sure. I haven't. I admit, Being living in the five-parish area, I don't. I haven't been out to the, the other areas to see what it well i know orleans parish is totally different from the rest of the state in fact they have their own sticker it's not a state sticker they call it a break tag a break tag and that's because they had an inspection program in place before the state implemented their program so Uh they were grandfathered in 
and they administer their own program through their own people. I know when I ride around New Orleans, you'll see it's got like a little crescent on it for the Crescent City. Sure. And it's a totally different sticker. Now, if you're in Jefferson Parish or if you're in St. John or St. James or any of the Tangipahoa, any of the surrounding parishes, then you come under the state correct inspection. But if you're in Orleans, then that is a Orleans sticker, mm-hmm. and they've got their own little Paris. deal. So a little bit more about the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, all these people around the United States, around what is parish? Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that same thing. Yeah. In Louisiana, we don't have counties. Right. We have parishes. We have parishes, which is sort of Part like of, a county. Right. But a little bit kind different. Of, kind of serves the same purpose. I was talking to a gentleman this weekend and he was from out of state somewhere and we were talking about just some of the laws and stuff in Louisiana and because the United States generally falls under English common law, okay. that is what our system of laws was based on. But Louisiana is based on Napoleonic Code. Correct. Because that was a part of France when all that took place. And mm-hmm. when, when France ceded Louisiana to the United States in Louisiana Purchase, it was a French territory, so it was under French law. Right. And parts of it changed over to the English common law, but Louisiana itself maintain napoleonic code under certain conditions like with airship and such as that it's a totally different set of laws and i know our attorneys have to take additional training right to know how that and and sometimes it seems strange but yeah (laughs) it's just different for instance in airship in louisiana it goes more by bloodline than it does by say marriage Mm -hmm. whereas your brothers and sisters can come into an inheritance ahead of your wife under certain conditions because they are blood relatives right. and your wife is not. Right. And I know there are women out there saying, <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> In you know, old Europe, the the first son may have inherited everything. Mm-hmm. And you could have three sons and they didn't get they anything. Didn't get anything. Right. Well, now it's more, it goes, it's equally split up among the children. And it's good in some cases where you have minor children because it you can't decide, I'm going to leave all my money to this girl that I met two days ago mm-hmm. because she makes me happy and I'm going to leave the kids out. Right. You know, you got forced airship. And under certain conditions, that can be overridden, but just a little bit different. But that's why some of the laws and rules and regulations in are Louisiana different. are different because it is a different system. Sure. Because this wasn't part of the United States <laughs> prior to 19, well, 2000, uh, mm-hmm. 18, 12. There you go. <laughs> hey, I'll get that sooner or later. <laughs> and, of course, Orleans goes back even further than that. Sure. It's, it's, it's almost 300 years old. I think it was founded in 1718. Right. So it, it goes back even further, than, further than that. So a lot of the stuff that you'll see that goes on in Orleans Parish doesn't go on in the rest of the state. Right. And, you know, we were talking about, like, birth certificates and all. The state of Louisiana didn't adopt birth certificates to somewhere around 1912. To 1914, there. And I think all the parishes weren't in compliance to around 1916 or so. But Orleans has death certificates and birth certificates going way back. Uh-huh. Particularly death certificates because they were having yellow fever epidemics down there and they were trying to get a handle on what was killing people. Right. And so they started maintaining this data. And you're building records of these sorts of things way, way before the rest of the parishes. And I know that's not automotive related, but <laughs> <laughs> nice little tidbit there. Yeah, just a little tidbit of information there. When you walk around down there, you will definitely see, especially like in the French Quarter, all the architecture right. and all is just, just very, very old. and Very different than anything else. Oh, yeah. I was talking to a guy the day. He said, I love this old French architecture. So, well, I hate to tell you, this is really not French architecture. It's Spanish architecture <laughs> because all the French architecture was wood and it burned. Yeah. <laughs> There is a few examples of French stuff left, but most of it, what you see in the French Quarter, is going to actually be Spanish because mm-hmm. they use masonry to build. So 
that's what survived. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all for today's history right. lesson. <laughs> I'll say we're just about out of time. Need to start backing on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service. Find a written review and fill it out for us. That's right. If you fill out that written review, what it'll do is that when someone goes in, types in auto repair as a topic, it's okay. going to bring us up close to the top of the list. So they're more likely to click on us. More people click on us. More popular the show is. We can keep on doing it. There you go. If you, you get too unpopular, they boom. They did, that's it. Boom. <laughs> that's right. Get the, get the bums rush on out of there. <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.